Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Purpose at Work podcast. This is your host, Spencer Jacobson. And this episode is with Zach Mercurio, who is a purposeful leadership and meaningful work strategist, researcher, author, adjunct professor, and keynote speaker. He is the author of The Invisible Leader, which is a fantastic book about purpose, purpose-driven leadership, why this is so important. And this is one of my favorite recordings that I've done. One, because Zach and I are massively on the same page, which is always really fun. And two, because of how important this information is for leaders to understand about why purpose is so important to integrate into the way we lead, the way we build businesses going forward, and how it wasn't necessarily so important 15 years ago. One of the things I love about Zach is his ability to talk about this in a very grounded way that everybody can understand. So please enjoy this episode. All right, Zach, welcome to the show. Thanks, Spencer. Good to be here. So without having gotten to connect with you too much, I definitely feel like we are cut from the same cloth. And I am really excited to do this conversation. Many of the episodes that we do on the show are with purpose-driven leaders, people who are really trying to bring more meaning, more significance, more empathy into the workplace, trying to make work better for people, period. And often they're in you know, HR leadership or business leadership positions. And I personally care so much about purpose. It's something that I think about almost every day. It's something that I talk with people about constantly. And I know that you've made purpose in many ways, your life's work, the science of purpose, doing a lot of research behind it. And so you know, I'd, I'm really excited to dive into how purpose impacts all areas of life and especially the workplace. But where I'd love to start, Zach, is how did purpose become the focal point of your life? I think that for a lot of purpose-driven people, there's some sort of scenario that has a trajectory-changing moment where an old way of being doesn't work anymore. And for me, I was in one of my, f- my first job out of college. I was an advertising executive in, in Washington, D.C. And we were just so obsessed as a team with achieving results and achieving things and acquiring things. I mean, every meeting we would have was about results, quotas, targets, sales goals, right? Not exactly jump out of bed and go get them type of stuff. But what was happening at that same time was I was noticing our clients, they were like small business owners who were like really achieving their dreams. And if they did business with us, we could help them achieve their goals. And they were real like humans. And so there was that disconnect for me that I was like, we're talking about all these results and things. Human beings' lives are are at stake in a different way. And I was very frustrated in that moment. And the time for me that led me down this path was I I actually left work just because I I always think when you live by results, you die by results. And it was at the end of a bad financial quarter. And so the team was dead because we didn't meet our goals and which is the worst state to be in if you want to meet your goals the next quarter. But I went and I left and I'm sitting in this park and this cab driver pulls up to me and he asked how I was doing. And I said, is it the weekend yet? And it was literally Tuesday at the time. 
And I was embarrassed. I mean, it's embarrassing how many people live for two sevenths of their lives the weekend, right? Just because that's the narrative. And I said, how's it going for you? And he lit up and he said, it's awesome. It's great. I, I love what I do. Um, um, people's parents they don't talk to, uh, people's friends they don't have. Uh, I get to drive really fast around the nation's capital. And he was smoking a cigarette. He put the cigarette out, got in his cab, drove away. And I, I realized, gosh, like really the most extraordinary people do ordinary things, right? With an extraordinary perspective. And I want to create a world where people can unlock that perspective. So it was that moment but that cab driver set me out into my career studying how we can make work differently, contribution-focused, less results-obsessed. That is such a good story, and I resonate so much. I used to fantasize about what people did for jobs. When I was working in, <laughs> when I was working in finance in New York City as my first job, I was just deeply unfulfilled, but I remember thinking, what are people doing who are like walking around Soho at 11 in the morning on a Tuesday in, yeah. in a casual outfit? I was like, what do they do for work? Because I just couldn't, I couldn't understand it. And it seemed so foreign to what I was used to, where I literally felt completely compelled and trapped to be in this mm. office space at that time, six to seven days a week uh, in the job I was doing. And it just felt like this endless, endless thing. And then I also remember fantasizing about doing really simple jobs like driving a cab or something else where I just, cause I would meet people that seemed really happy doing those things. And I felt so shitty about what I was yeah. doing. And I love what you said, where it's having an, an extraordinary perspective yeah. about a, a simple or an ordinary thing. Yeah. And here's the thing, man, is that we have been screwing ourselves out of fulfillment for half a century. And what I mean by that is the science of human fulfillment and motivation is, is really clear, right? No human in history has ever been sustainably motivated through an extrinsic reward getting something, right? We are primarily motivated. We're not built to acquire and achieve things because that's a really stupid way to be built because if we were, the problem with being motivated by acquiring and achieving things is the fact that we can get them. And then what? Well, you always have to add something else on. This is how most organizations operate. Most people's lives are operate on this, the meritocracy, right? But what I found with, with like people like the cab driver or I, I research janitors who do very routine, mundane things. They don't focus on the thing. They focus on how the thing allows them to contribute, right? Because we're built to contribute. The results follow. Happiness and fulfillment, right, are a resultant condition of the mindset of contribution and of what, how is what I'm doing contributing to other human beings' lives, which as a human species, we were built to contribute. And our brain rewards us when we do. So that's why those people are neurobiologically better off than people who focus on results are. But here's the thing. I don't, I don't advocate for everybody to go be a janitor or a cab driver and change their perspective. But what I think we can do in a lot of our like, current organizational structures is re-socialize people to obsessively focus on their contribution, know how they deeply contribute, and trust that those results will follow versus just pursuing the happiness, pursuing the sex, success, 
<laughs> as ends in themselves. The sex, the yeah, sex yeah, too. Yeah, though. yeah, yeah. Keep that in there. That's a uh, uh, yeah, as ends in themselves versus that contribution. So what I find is those people they focus on how they contribute through what they're doing, not what they're doing. Like he didn't say, "Hey, my life's awesome. I'm a cab driver." You know, he he talked about his contribution, and that's what I found time after time in working with people and organizations around purpose is it's not something that you go out and find somewhere out there. It's, it's usually right where you already are, you know, waiting to be acknowledged and people who acknowledge that can find it wherever they go. I love that because, well, I also think about human beings when I think about the context of being human is there's two contexts that we can choose. One is survival, right? So the basic context that, 98% 98% of humans are yes. living in many, yes. many because they don't even have a choice, but 98% of humans are living in is a context of survival. And that's been the hundreds of thousands of years of human existence for a long time. It was really important now still really important for a sadly large number of people as the primary objective. But for those of us, you know, with, collars on our shirts and the, you know, gift of growing up, you know, maybe in the United States and having a lot of privilege and these different things, we're still wired for survival and we're still acting like survival is the number one motivator, but it's not actually really what's present anymore. And then the other choice that we can start to make that you're talking about is contribution. And I like to think of it as we can either be in survival and all of our behaviors and actions and motivators can ultimately be tied back to, well, I'm trying to survive Mm. or basically protection, or we can choose full contribution, full participation. And right, that other wiring of us is to contribute. So important. And I think of that as if we can fundamentally make choices from, I'm going to be in full contribution to whatever is happening or full participation or just all in that starts to create a pretty massive paradigm shift for people. Yeah. And I would go back to something you said, you know, people often say to me, Zach, well, is this whole idea of purpose and meaning privileged? You know, like you said, yeah, most of the world, most of the world, 60% of the American workforce can't choose where they work. It's low wage service work. Uh, those are the people I research. And I would say no, purpose and meaning actually is not privileged and you can discover purpose while you're surviving. In fact, I might argue, if I were having dinner with Maslow, I would say, hey, but how are we going to survive if we don't contribute to one another? You know, how are we going to provide those basic needs if we're not contributing? And like, for example, Viktor Frankl in Man's Search for Meaning, this guy was in the most horrific human conditions possible in a concentration camp. And he was able to craft his mindset to which he focused on how he would be able to get back to contribute to and save his wife as the mechanism, the meaning that pulled him through those difficult circumstances. So I think that it's important that, especially in large organizations, if you lead a large organization and you think you have a lot of frontline employees or there's a lot of people in society that, that are, you might think, hey, these people are just trying to survive. But in reality, we can cold help them cultivate a purpose-centered, meaning-centered mindset to help them better survive and be more resilient and pull them through. I mean, Angela Duckworth finds in her research that purpose is a key predictor of resilience 
and grit, I just finished up a huge study with janitors. And what I found is that all of the janitors in the sample said they worked for money. Not one of them said that that's why they want to come to work every day, which was meaningfulness and purpose. So survival and meaning and purpose are not mutually exclusive. In fact, I think that we could be driven to survive while being driven by meaning, and we're more likely to survive if we're driven by meaning. And the other thing that you had mentioned is, yeah, our brains still think we're about to get like chomped down by a saber-toothed tiger, and we're like obsessed with identifying threats. But like securing venture capital is not you're not is not a life or death scenario, you know. But yet we choose to be stressed out in that way versus choosing, hey, how will getting venture capital help me better contribute to the world? Which your brain will be more optimized to get that venture capital and do something important with it. Mm. And you might, if you start asking yourself that question, you might realize that it won't. And that, exactly. maybe, yeah, and, and, and that may be the reason that you're so stressed out about the situation is that there isn't something much bigger driving you forward other than this constructed sense of survival and maybe being good yeah, enough, yeah. being good enough or acquiring external things. And that's really stressful because it's not as um, sustainably motivating. Yeah. Yeah. The most, the most stressful thing for me when I find myself being just achievement and results obsessed, the most stressful thing for me is when I achieve what I wanted to achieve. Because I'm like, shoot, now what do I do? And so I feel myself, uh, you know, in my work, in my business, I get sucked into the socialization to acquire and achieve, to be successful to be happy. I have to get these things. But then every time I don't get them, it's a reminder that I'm not being purposeful and allows me to go back and being, because, because purpose, the reason for which you exist, the reason you're doing what you're doing of what use are you to the world that, that does not die with you. I mean, that lives on forever. It's always out in front of you. Most of our purposes and contributions we want to make can't be finished in our lifetime. That's the beauty of them. That's the pulling force of them. And when I find myself being disappointed because I didn't achieve a result or disappointed because I did achieve a result, which is the problem with results, I go back and thinking, gosh, I'm not being pulled by a contribution. I'm being pushed by results, pushed by drives. I think I mentioned this to you when we first talked is like, I see people on LinkedIn all the time. I'm a results driven professional, right? Who cares? Results of what? Like a result in the dictionary is a consequence of something. So People who are really producing results are obsessed with that of something, their cause. They, they're obsessed with their cause and they trust that the effects will follow. You'll see that time and time again. And I think that's what being purposeful is all about. If it says results driven on your LinkedIn profile, it just means I don't want to hang out with you that much. <laughs> or in all caps, especially in all caps. But it's just, a, that's a function of, you know, I'm empathetic for people like that because I'm like that sometimes. And I think that we've been socialized that way. I mean, in a, in, when you came up in education, what did I get? I got an arbitrary letter for doing stuff. I didn't really learn the importance of why the class material existed in the world, which no class was ever created to give me an arbitrary letter. It was created because there's some knowledge that can make human beings' lives better, right? We got to flip that paradigm starting in education, in my opinion, or else we'll all be results-driven people with all caps on our LinkedIn profiles which would be sad to me. This is something that is happening at such a massive scale in the workforce today is that people grow up seeking external validation, 
because of the way the school system and childhood is set up, it's very often to, in some ways, succeed at, well, either you, you fail at it and then you, and then people are socialized and they internalize that there's something bad or wrong about how they showed up and then they need to work through that. Or you find a way to succeed at the game and you get the grades, you do the sports, the arts, you get this external validation and then you show up to a job and then it, the external validation actually starts to decrease because now it's this, you know, oftentimes maybe it's this knowledge work where unless you're in a sales role and you've got numbers to hit, then it starts to get really scary and you're not really sure what you're accomplishing. And then all of a sudden people just are going into these existential crises at age 25 saying, why the heck am I even here? And as you're saying too, it's not limited to folks that are doing knowledge work. It's everybody that is experiencing this paradigm. I I would love to double click for a moment on authentic purpose Mm. and then build a bridge over to why this matters so much in organizations. Uh, A lot of our listeners are leading organizations in different ways, but to start with purpose, you mentioned a bit about it. This is why we're here. Could you speak a bit more about how, how people can think about purpose? Yeah. So first, I think that one of the mistakes people make in work and in life when they think about purpose is that it's something they have to go out and find somewhere out there. Like it's hidden in a field with a millennial stock photograph running across the field, you know, 10 steps to find your purpose. And I don't think that purpose is not something that's out there waiting to be found. You know, I think that it's right, right where we are usually waiting to be acknowledged. For example, like I could go back, if I knew what I knew now, Geez, that advertising position. I remember there was a guy who I was on a sales call with. It was his life's goal. Like he was so excited. He was just opening a sports bar outside of DC. He, that, that was his life's dream, right? And if I had focused on that my job through selling advertising to him could help him to achieve his life's goal, I would be, have been on purpose. I would have probably felt a lot better about my job. I, I may have been stayed in that job. So like you can be in a sales role, uh, a numbers-based role in which you're just focused on the contribution you make to get those numbers. And so that's why I don't know if it's necessarily about going and finding a purpose, but more about this idea of being purposeful. So as an organization or as a person, deeply understanding in every moment, like look at your calendar before you get up and you look, right, you look at your your phone and you say, uh, what do I have to do today? That's a really psychologically demotivating question. You know, instead maybe ask, Hey, how is what I'm going to do today going to contribute to someone else? Or, uh, little things like instead of asking your kids or people around you, Hey, what, what are you going to do with your life? Hey, what, what should your life do for others? I think we need to ban that question. What are you going to do with your life or career and say, what should your career do for others? So it's these little things that reorient us to our usefulness, our contribution, which is what purpose is all about. And then as an organization or as a person, understanding what your unique resources are to deliver that contribution is when you start unlocking your strengths, your energizers. And when those meet that human problem, that contribution, that's when we become on purpose. So I don't think it's something to be found out there. Um, In fact, research tends to agree that it's something that is uncovered and crafted as we go in and through different contexts. And so authentic purpose is really, what's your, where do your unique strengths match up to a human problem? And 
if what you'll find is it's like your fingerprint. If I were to do a purpose statement exercise right now, and I was in a room of a hundred people and they all were in the same job, I can guarantee you I would have a hundred different purpose statements because the combination of how someone's strengths meet a human need and make an impact are so different. And it's really powerful in organizations when you can unlock that in your people because you really focus them on impact, but then also help them discover things about themselves and how they make that impact. Uh, and that's when you start being being on purpose as an organization. There's even some, there's a lot of data pointing to how impactful this is, even for the bottom line. I think companies that exhibit large levels of meaning and purpose outperform the S&P 500 by like 10x. I'm sure you've got that stat somewhere from the Harvard Business Review. And it makes sense too now that, and I'd love to hear your perspective on this, but this is something I think about all the time is, so now that we're no longer in this paradigm of it's predictable what I'll be doing three years from now versus Mm. what I'll be doing now, there's in many ways, there's no more corporate ladder. Even if there was a corporate ladder, it's not necessarily something that would appeal to many people anymore. We technology and markets are changing so fast that we legitimately don't know. And I don't even think we realize how much we don't know Mm. what industries and markets and technologies will look like three to five years from now. And that So we don't have these just clear extrinsic paths to take. And even though they never, I don't think really worked for people being happy, it was sustainable enough because you could just say, well, I'm going to get the promotion in two years and then I'm going to get the next promotion after that and things will be fine. But what people are actually looking for now that they realize that they don't really have job security, that's a Mm. myth. And things are changing so rapidly is why am I here? What am I contributing? And why is this company here? I also really love integral theory as it relates to organizations. And, and at the same time as human beings are evolving, organizational structures are evolving and that many of the most successful organizations choose to have a higher evolutionary purpose than maximizing shareholder value. Right. And that that's a core part of moving up levels of organizational evolution and, and even, you know, uh, productivity in those ways. I'd love to hear your, your perspective on that as it relates to motivating folks at a large level. And then obviously with these purpose statements, helping people go down to their personal why. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot there in your statement. I mean, that was awesome. I'm thinking about all of it. I think there's a couple things that have happened though, that are all coming to a head right now. You know, Trends don't become trends just because, you know, somebody sat in front of their computer and said, purpose in business would be cool. You know, it's a systemic economic, a series of forces that that culminate, right? So what you said is you actually did have people who were, were extrinsically rewarded in the baby boomers reaching retirement age in which they have to ask themselves, I've achieved what I need to achieve. What now? At the same time, you have a group of millennials who are observing those baby boomers in that time where they're like, what now? Saying, I don't want to be asking that what now question. And then not only that, they have a device in the palm of their hand that's showing them human suffering from across the world. And they're right in front of them. 
and then they're entering into the workforce. And so you have this, this coming together of these generational forces and values of something that hasn't worked. And then people trying to figure out a new way of which purpose, right. Has, has emerged, I think at this time. But I think the other thing that you were talking about in terms of how it relates to organizations. Yes. I mean, organizations who are purpose-centered are more successful financially. Every financial result is mediated through a human being, right? So it's easy to logically say, well, then if people are more contribution-centered, which we know gives them a boost of uh, dopamine, oxytocin, and serotonin, which means they move better, they feel better, they have better moods, you could imagine that those people would do better work, which would produce better results. So purposeful people and organizations are not productive because they have to be. They're productive, you know, because they, they deeply want to be. Now, the, the trap here is that I think that once you use purpose as a means just to make more money, you're using purpose as an intrinsic motivator. So I think that we need to, as organizations, the purpose movement needs to go into the space where we're doing this for human beings as ends in themselves. And an ancillary result of that will be that there'll be all these organizational outcomes. Because the reality is, is that people spend 40 to 50% of their waking lives in the environment that you, listener, or us have the power to engineer and architect, right? So if we, we should want those people at their core to be able to tap into their contribution and, the, and their belief. An ancillary result of that is profit and, and money. But it can be very easy to make purpose an extrinsic motivator, like, you go after this and then we'll make more money or a path to that. So I think that that's an important distinction. So I think that one, there's a, a number of forces that come together, which have created purpose as an imperative right now. And then second, I think that for people trying to think about this from an organizational sense, really making sure that our beliefs are centered on human thriving because that's good. And as an ancillary result, we make more money. We have better returns. And so we can continue delivering purpose. You know, I often say it's not, it, it's, it's profit because of purpose. I can imagine somebody leading, you know, let's say somebody who's late stage venture backed company that's trying to get ready for an exit or somebody leading a public company could look at conversations, that conversation that we're having right now, that it's actually human beings as, as ends in and of themselves versus purpose in order to produce more profit as saying, well, this is a nice conversation, but my investors are Kleiner Perkins and so-and-so, and they're, they're expecting this to be a $2 billion transaction or that sounds really nice but we have our quarterly earnings to make and i get fired if we don't hit x y or z metrics or expectations and so now of course there's many 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 leaders that are starting to embrace these conversations right and there's many that already have i'm curious how do we start to reach these conversations with folks that can address that basically objection, I suppose you could say. And one thing that just comes to mind right now, and then I'll, I'll let you talk is Larry Fink at BlackRock yeah. talking about how BlackRock won't invest in companies that don't have some level of corporate social responsibility in the way they operate. Now that was more or less just kind of a 
a statement with very little teeth to back it up. And I'm not sure how much BlackRock has actually changed any of their practices in terms of investment, but it is, I I suppose things are starting to change. Yeah. I mean, you raise a good, great point. And that's the point we have to start at, right? I'm very empathetic to leaders who are in that space. I mean, they wake up every morning and their, their value, your value, if you're listening, can, can be determined by how much value you produce, how much extrinsic rewards you produce. I mean, I, I, I am very empathetic to that, and I think that can be a really challenging place to be. At the same time, I think it's a little bit more practical than saying what I said, which is we're going to, you know, to your investors, I'm going to talk about the human beings as ends in themselves. Maybe not saying that, but you can believe it, knowing that the mechanism to getting those rewards or getting that result are through human beings. I had a guy, he took me out for coffee. He read my book and he said, Zach, he was a CEO, a public traded company. He said, Zach, I just wanted to say nice try. You know, the positive psychology, you know, you had, it was a nice go, but I have to produce shareholder returns. And I said, I said, okay, great. Which one of those returns is not mediated through a human being? And he couldn't answer that question, right? And so wouldn't we at the same time as we're trying to produce results, make a priority to compel human beings to get those results, whether you tell your investors that or not. And I think that that's, it's a mindset and a belief shift that we can make that can actually improve the results that, that we deliver. Uh, so I'll give you an example. I was doing a keynote on this and a, a woman came up to me, a VP of sales, large publicly traded company, Fortune 500 company. She came up to me, goes, she said, Zach, all this is great. Uh, she said, I love your little talk on purpose. And I said, I love this, okay? And she said, but when our numbers are down, our numbers are down. And I said, okay, great. You know, like, what do you say now when your numbers are down? She's like, well, I go in and I tell them our numbers are down. We got to get them up. This is how most leaders who work, right, who are operated with that, with that shareholder value in mind. I'm, I'm waking up and my value is driven by, so I have to drive these people. Our numbers are down fight or flight, right? Saber-toothed tiger is going to attack us. So we tell our people, numbers are down, need to get them up. I said, well, what it, w- does that work? And she said, no, everybody leaves freaked out. We demotivate people and we put them into the, the worst space they could be in to achieve the result we want them to achieve because we're driving them through carrots and sticks. And the problem is, as I said, here's how you could change that conversation. You go into this meeting with your sales team and you just say, hey, how could we contribute more to our customers to get the numbers up? The conversation changes. And in fact, I've done coaching with people in sales on this. When they ask that question, people start giving ideas. They start getting excited about their customers versus they leave the room being like, oh, we just got chewed out by the VP of sales. I'm going to lose my job and my house and my mortgage. And so this is a perfect state to get the numbers up. So there's little ways we can weave in a purpose-centered mindset, you know, as leaders, that can achieve the results we want to achieve, but also make people feel better about their work. Yeah. Part of what I'm really loving about this approach to purpose is that it's very simple and it's around contribution. And as you were saying, people can get really complicated and wrapped around the axle around figuring out purpose like it's something outside of us or that we don't know when really think of no how can we create more value for our customers 
instead of in some ways, how can we extract more value from our customers? Uh, yeah, yeah. And then, ah, uh, yeah, is, that's a great distinction. And then this is also a, which is just a more motivating conversation for almost every human other than maybe sociopaths. And <laughs> which, and which you can do it. Like any, any company could like, can I, can I just interject one? Cause I think that yeah, the problem yeah. and, and, you know, in this purpose thought leadership space, you know, I may, be, I may get skewered for this, but I don't really care. I don't think that you have to be saving the trees in the rainforest to be a purpose driven organization. One of my clients is a car wash. Okay. They're a car wash chain. They wash cars, but what they realized, and when I was talking to the CEO, we went out for coffee and I was pressing him on what problem do you exist to solve? He said, well, Zach, people don't wake up and want to work at a car wash. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, they, most of them don't have a, their high school diploma. They are in really rough spots in their lives. And he said, in the moment, he said, that's our purpose. And he realized that their purpose was to prepare people for the future. It just happens they wash cars. Now, they've aligned and invested in, they're the only car wash company in the world that robustly invests in developing their people, creating educational plans, creating a path outward to another place. And they wash three times the amount of cars as every other car wash. Their mm. people, people internationally come to work for this car wash chain in Colorado because the million cars they wash per year is a result of them preparing their people for the future. So, so I just want to put that out there that you probably have a purpose by default because if you're a business, you add value. It's the relentless focus on that human value that's purposeful. Mm. It can be social. It can be global. But lots of times that's not accessible to the majority of companies and organizations and leaders. But you have a product that makes someone's life better, a service that makes someone's life better. You can be purposeful. Yeah, this is... This Sorry, is, I uh, went off there because yeah, I, yeah. I, get, I get the exclusionary aspect that you have to go and change your business model to to like stop offshore drilling is, is great if you do that, if that's part of what you do. But you can be purposeful and fulfill people through the business that you are. I work with construction companies, concrete companies. I'm going to talk to a plumbing contractor after this. And these people improve human beings' lives in real ways. They have a purpose. And, and so do you, likely. Yeah, this is, so this is something that I, uh, there's so much in here. So I talk to a lot of, I'm a young person, but I, I still, I talk to a lot of younger people about careers and about people who are thinking about changing jobs. And I like to support people in those conversations. And one of the fallacies that I hear people looking for work with is they say, well, you know, an example may be, well, I love music. So I want to go work for a music company. Mm. And I'm just making this up. So I want to go work for Spotify and I'm sure Spotify is a great place to work. But the fallacy there is that just because Spotify does music and you love music and you think music is great for the world doesn't mean you're going to like what you do. Absolutely. Right. You actually may hate it. You may feel so far from the music and versus sometimes there's exactly that. I, I remember for some reason, JW player is coming to mind. I think they were acquired, but huge JW player is the online video player that no one knows the name of because they're the, the, the 800 pound gorilla that plays all the videos that YouTube doesn't. So if you need to install video on your company website or whatever, JW player is a huge part of that. 
in theory, like not a sexy company, right? You're, you're, you're doing videos. But I remember talking to people who were working at JW Player who just loved working there. Absolutely loved working there. And I remember thinking about and, and asking why and why and why. And it was just because of the atmosphere of how much people felt like they were on the same team, contributing, building something, working together, the level of excitement and validation that people were receiving just from, from doing that. So this is a huge, what you're bringing up is so important, right? You can be working at a car wash and that can be actually much more purposeful than I've heard some, you know, mixed things about working at Tom's Shoes, right? So Tom's Shoes, very purposeful company, but I've also heard that from a few folks that there's been some cultural challenges where people actually don't feel the purpose and meaning. So that's one. And that's a beautiful point. And then another one that I'm really hearing as a part of this conversation is... Companies often are, and there's more conversation now about, okay, what do we do for the world? What do we do for the world? But your purpose can actually just be for employees, right? It can actually, if we start to put our employees first, then they can actually start to put the customers first and be really innovative about, okay, well, this company is orienting itself towards contributing to me. So now I can orient myself to, towards contributing to externally to our customers versus the other way around. This is, I think, where a lot of some of the many really successful services companies, a lot of the big consulting companies that have this really prevalent client first, client first, client first dynamic, a lot of the investment banks as well, is you'll do anything to serve the client or to, to say yes to the client. And it just chews up junior employees and spits them out because they're working 90 hours a week because it's not about them. It's about the client, the client, the client, the client. And then these companies really struggle to retain people. But it's, I think, I think it's because of the dynamic of client first. And yes, in some ways it's contribution to those clients, but they're still missing a step. Yeah, and that's such a good point because when you think about purpose, think about your whole stakeholder world, right? And if you're not delivering an aligned purpose to all of them, you're not purposeful. For example, I, the alignment of purpose is, is so important. I mean, you look, at, you look at what's happening with Boeing right now with the, the two 737 MAX 8 disasters, tragic. Here's, here's the tragic consequences of misalignment. Their underlying belief was we need to get 50% market share. We need to get competition away from, uh, we need to get market share away from Airbus. That's why that airplane existed. Engineers were working double the amount of time. Those, these are the behaviors. People were doing sloppy blueprints. I mean, you go into this case, but what was their espoused purpose? It was a priority is the safe travel of human beings, right? That, it doesn't matter how that's stated. If you're telling an engineer to come in and work double the amount of time, you're not aligning that with the safety. And the consequences, the organizational consequences of stated but misaligned purposes are are vast. And just what you said, I was talking to a big investment bank on the East Coast because they had started this big hashtag positive impact campaign. This is a giant bank. You know of them, I'm sure. But uh, I was talking to a junior banker and... uh, she said the same thing you just said. I work 100 hours so my manager can look good. So where's your positive impact for them? So if you're not willing to change those structures, then, then, then you might as well 
relinquish the hashtag because you know the best cause marketing can't hide a bad culture, no matter what you do. And so I often say, if people are thinking about the purpose movement here and they're listening, resist the urge to go out and do the big branding thing where you brand a big higher order purpose. And first focus on cultivating what's there so that your purpose, your brand expresses what's authentically there. So you don't have to go back and fix everything that, that is misaligned, that shows through. I'd love to double click on this. So, so if a company is, somebody's listening to this and they're, they're feeling motivated around bringing more purpose into their company and there is a lot of pressure. It's like, let's do a campaign. Let's put a billboard on the side of the highway in San Francisco about our purpose and what we're contributing. But you're saying take a pause. Yeah. So what is, what is let's say, the next meeting or the next conversation? What would it look like to start to work with, you mentioned work with what's there? So what are maybe the first couple steps for somebody to take, let's say they're leading HR or they're the CEO to start to have this conversation of working around what's already there? Yeah, I think the first, I mean, the first is like a discovery rediscovery conversation, right? So asking questions like on your leadership team, you know, especially the leadership team, I think is really important. Middle management is incredibly important. Asking this question, hey, what, what problem, what problem do we solve? What problem do we exist to solve? Why were we founded? You know, as some, having, you could have an all day, an offsite just on those two questions of, of redefining what human problem do we exist to solve, right? And having the, that rediscovery process. And then, or another way to do, do this is really powerful is take your current mission statement and your stated values. Take that all the way down to your front line, go to the very front line. If it's in your distribution center, line workers, show that to them and just say, is this true? Is this real? Is this us? And then you start this iterative process and bring that back up and have people add. What would they add to it? What would they take away from it? Bring it to your teams. What would they add? What would they take away? Is it true of the people who are interfacing with your customers? And this is what I call a, a rediscovery process. And once you go through that process, then you can get gain some clarity. Okay, how do we take what we've learned here and, and state it clearly? Because what the research finds that there's actually no financial benefit to having a uh, purpose over profit when it's not clear. So people at the front line are using the language, they believe it, their supervisors are using the language, they're rewarded on purposeful behaviors, and it's all aligned. So that's called high purpose clarity. And the third is aligning it. Do you have core values in place that are not just espoused, i.e. Boeing, safety is a priority, which I'm sure it is in most cases, but in that it, it, it was not. It was not the medium through which the purpose got expressed. Another value, 50% shareholder, uh, 50% market share was the value there that dictated the behavior. But do you have values that align the delivery of that purpose, that problem you exist to solve? And then finally, delivery. So do you optimize the experience of internal stakeholders and external stakeholders so that anybody, after any interaction, digitally or in person, can know and feel why you exist without you even saying it. So this process of going through a discovery phase, a clarity phase, an alignment phase, and a delivery phase, and then once you got, once you really got a sense of that, slap it on a billboard. 
<laughs> because what's going to happen? What's going to happen is is that it, it's, it's long termism, right? So what's going to happen is you put that on the billboard, the customer or someone's going to come into your organization, and their their belief is going to be reaffirmed. The most psychologically destructive thing for customers and employees are when a belief they've been led to believe is refuted by the environment they're in. So I've been led to believe that this company cares about the planet. And then I go into their work site and I see scant recycling program going on. Boom, that's it. Or I'm led into, I'm recruited into this accounting firm because they said we make the world a better place. And I go in there and I have my own world and I'm working 100 hours a week without overtime pay and getting takeout food because I'm an entry-level audit associate. That the, when a belief is refuted by the environment, it's psychologically devastating. So cultivate the discovery and the clarity and the alignment and the delivery internally. And then you have something real to express. And that's what authentic purpose is. I know that was a lot, but you had a lot. This is like, you say something that's a lot. I say something that's a lot. And then the listeners can just think a lot. Yeah, think and, and feel a lot. So yeah, this, is, this has been great. I think there's a, a few other topics that I would love to delve into, Zach, but we don't have time. Um, yeah. So just want to tease a, a part two of this potentially. Yeah, awesome. Because there's, there's a lot here. I even want to go deeper around you know, individual purpose and what it takes to oh, yeah. sometimes really connect to yeah. that, really connect to that, some of the vulnerability required. But in the interest of time for now, Zach, anything else that has come up for you that you would want to share and also would love to hear how uh, listeners can get in touch with you? Also want to mention The Invisible Leader, great book. Uh, I was just going through all the chapters in the last couple of weeks and awesome. I think it really lays out a as someone who thinks about purpose a lot, really comprehensive approach to it with a lot of data to back it up and then a lot of steps to do that. So recommend people check out The Invisible Leader. Well, what's, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you personally? Yeah, my favorite thing to do is I write a monthly newsletter called The Spark and I, I try different things around purpose and meaning and building it in. And you can go to ZachMercurio.com and sign up for that. It's really fun. Uh, I don't have anything to sell you. I just sh- share with you what I'm reading, what I'm finding. And then I have this try this section where I try all of these different like things about building purpose and meaning into work. And then I ask you to do that. And I'm also going to be developing a, a biweekly show called One Minute on Purpose, where I'm going to be answering people's questions like this, like, you know, that you had Spencer, which is great. And uh, just answering some of these tough questions about purpose. So if you have a question, send me an email. It's on my website as well. Okay. Awesome. Zach, thank you so much for joining us. This has been great. Yeah. Thanks, Spencer.